Good evening and greetings in Jesus' name. My family and I spent 17 years serving in Guatemala as missionaries there, church planting work, and returned back to live in Maryland in 2004. One time a little girl was asked what she wanted to be when she grew up, and she said a returned missionary. Um, Two big problems. The smaller of the big problem is it's not all it's bragged up to be. And the greater of the problems is is that God doesn't permit the designation. And uh, what I have to share tonight is out of need, not out of superior position. Most churches where I go, if I can say this without any judgment, is in a real need of revival, and that includes the churches I'm a part of. And so I can't tell you that I have this all down in practice. We talk a lot here about reality, and reality is important. But some of this just has to be vision and desire. We're still reaching for it. I want to bless you for this fellowship this weekend. It's not unusual to go places and not know many of the people, but the percentage here for me is really low. I'm pretty sure I know less than a dozen people here. But the, the prayer effort, the seeking after God is a blessing. There, there is an inherent danger though. It's easy to feel like we're spiritual because of spiritual people we're around. And in special cases like this, I guess you know this is abnormal uh, to sense a little elitist feeling. That's a fancy word for pride, I guess. And, you know, if God has blessed your heart with a desire and you came here for a desire to go on with God and you could go home to your home congregation and look around and say, you know, why don't they get it? Why didn't they go there that weekend? Or why didn't they at least want to go? Well, maybe God has led you into another grade. And if you're in third grade instead of first grade, you're expected to do better work, but you're no better student. You and I are what we are by the grace of God. And we need the grace of God as much today as when we started. And what God has been teaching me, and he's had to give me some thorough spankings to get, try to get this through my head, is, is that I, I cannot regress in my Christian discipline to walk with him just because my circumstances have gotten more difficult. So what? What he's shown me, what he's taught me, I'm responsible to respond to him. And if I do so faithfully, I'm not doing any better. So you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been hearing about that. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you should be filled with the Holy Spirit from day one of your new birth. But your capacity for the Holy Spirit is so much smaller then because there's so much you haven't experienced and don't know yet of Christ. And that's why we need to go on learning and developing our faith because we could stay faithful, but hopefully our... Faith and capacity is growing for what he can do. 
And then just think what that can be done as you multiply it through a brotherhood. And we really need to think some here tonight about this matter of of God's will and the work of the Holy Spirit through a brotherhood. Could we just bow our heads again for prayer? Our Heavenly Father, in Jesus' precious name, we bow our hearts. There's so much of this we have not experienced. And if we have, it's in a limited way. And it's hard for us to rise in faith to get a hold of something that we've never seen with our eyes and never sensed with our heart. And yet, it's possible to see the Lord Jesus and who he is, what he's calling us to. And so, Father, I pray that you will come and anoint my heart and mind. I want to stand here with a completely free and open spirit toward every one of these brothers and sisters. And I want to most of all turn my heart toward you and allow you to speak to me. And I trust you'll do the same to everyone that's here. And God, would you rebuke any voice of confusion, any wrong attitude, any resistance, and enable us, Lord, collectively in our hearts and souls to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. We look to you for that. His precious name, amen. Turn your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 3. This was the passage assigned to me for this message. Ephesians is supposed to be a book of rich Christians. We could ask ourselves the question tonight, just how rich are we? You know, we really want to see Christianity work. Real Christ-like living. And people have the right to see in those of us who call ourselves Christians the extended incarnation of Jesus. But who of us tonight could stand up and say, yes, if you see me, you see Jesus. We don't have his exact ministry. We certainly don't have his supernatural birth. None of us have obtained that level of capacity where we have the Spirit of God without measure. But I'll guarantee you tonight we can get more of it collectively than we can get personally. So we allow... Jesus to work in us by His Spirit in the whole church. Let's read this chapter, Ephesians chapter 3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, how that by revelation He may know unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, and it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, 
which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Now the rest was memory selection. Why don't we say it together? For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I want to begin in this chapter with verse 6, where it talks about that as part of the body of Christ, we're partakers of his, that God the Father, I believe, God's promise to Jesus the promise of the Father, as we read of it in the New Testament. And what a promise to partake in. The promise of blessing upon all people. Promised Savior, a promised land, a promised blessing that was given to Abraham. And I, I really believe that Jesus was the particular person that this promise was made to specifically. By extension, it comes to us. But Jesus, as a man without sin, without failure toward his father and his father's commands, his father's desires. Jesus won for the human race complete access to all the riches of the father. And they're now his. And he, through the Holy Spirit, makes them available to us. A seed that produces potential reconciliation. But I don't think that's saying it right. Actually, I believe that all men and women are born into the promise of God in Jesus Christ. You actually lose your soul because of rejecting Jesus, not because his salvation didn't avail for you. And so we're actually, it is the light that lighteth all the world. A seed that makes possible reconciliation with God, that makes possible participation in the divine nature that we can be born of the spirit of God and empowered blessed by his grace and we've heard some said here this this day and yesterday about the centrality of Jesus it's not just that he's the central theme it's not just that he's the highest figure amongst him, us although he is but Jesus 
holds all the fullness of God. He has obtained all there is to obtain in Christianity as children of God. He is the elder brother. He's the forerunner. He's the head of the church. And if if the church is his body, and in tune with him as, as the head, and he has complete fullness, what does the church lack? Does she need Jesus and some 10-step method? Jesus and some other organization? What more is needed? Is Jesus adequate for the human need of 2009? And then here in the same passage in verse 12, it talks about through Jesus the access we have. In whom, speaking of Jesus, we have boldness, freedom, entrance, access with confidence by the faith of Him. We can ask and seek and knock and find. Talking about grace empowered now, what is grace? And you hear a lot of different uh, definitions of grace, but I would like to think of grace this evening as enablement. We talk about God's influence upon the heart, uh, but that influence is enablement. It's power. It's ability to do and to perform and be. And our brother today talked about First of all, you read about the cup of salvation and then the well of water and then the rivers of water. And in Ezekiel there, how it starts, you know, to the ankles and then to, I guess, the knees and then the loins and then it's a river to swim in. Bottomless well. Pure well. Rivers. And... uh, what what are we going to do? If, if, if we look at our churches and we say, but we have so many needs, and I want to talk about that in a few minutes. We have so many needs we don't know how to take care of. Is Jesus unable? Is the well too shallow? The river's too dry? I believe that grace-empowered brotherhood begins with the conviction that Jesus has all the riches we need. He has everything it takes. And He has it available. It's not a nebulous, philosophical, abstract concept. Jesus Christ, who is alive in a human body as well as divinity, is at the right hand of God. And He has available all the riches, all the power, all the grace. That it takes. And we are living in difficult times. Perilous times the scripture calls it. And the love of many is waxing cold. And I've experienced some of that. In these past five years in my life. I believe God brought me here as one of the steps. In leading me back into a a more Christ like relationship. But iniquities abounding, and so love is waxing cold. 
and we're in this rat race of materialistic, self-seeking, pleasure-seeking. And sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's status quo satisfying. But we, we Americans, you know, we do things so good and we do it so efficiently, we think we can. And we don't really need God all that much. And our churches are in trouble. There's abuse. There's psychological problems. There's, uh, you know, the families that are, are not functional and there's division and bickering. There's so much backbiting and ill will and, and ladder rung counting and, and you know, I, hey, I'm, I would agree with Brother Dale what he said this afternoon. Let's thank God for what we have been blessed. I was sitting in a Mennonite church where there wasn't all that much fire, but the fire of the Spirit fell upon my heart and I was converted. So I thank God that that does happen. But I want us to note tonight that we are in a real danger as a people, as an Anabaptist people, of looking around and seeing what other wells we can dip out of to meet our problems. And we're running here and we're starting this work and that work and this educational effort and this professional effort and this and that to try to somehow get a hold of the needs of our people and overcome what in many times is just plain sin. And grace-empowered brotherhood starts with the conviction that there's no better answer. In fact, there is no other real answer than the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus and the ministry that I believe Brother Dale will share more about tomorrow is a ministry of healing, of wholesomeness, of restoration, of soundness, of stability, of reproduction, fruitfulness. And if we don't have it, don't have enough of it, and that certainly includes me, then there's one source for us. This passage, the last part, the memory section part, talks about power. Dunamis. Uh, Dunamis, if I count it correctly, is in the New Testament about 120 times. Divine power of God. Uh, They take the word dynamite from this word, I think, or a similar word. You know, dynamite uh, doesn't work unless you detonate it. You have to give it some emphasis to give it its rightful place so that its energy can be released. But there, there is a power. It's divine power. It flows natural within the life of Jesus. It's not separate from the life of Jesus. It's a natural genetic part of that life. Power. And the real Christian life, we've heard about genuineness, we've heard about realness, we've heard about reality here. Realness in Christian life is supernatural living. Living with an inward push that is beyond what I and my natural self am. We've talked about assurance of salvation here these days. Folks, one of the assurances of salvation is when you have a push to do what's right that comes from the inside. None of you, and certainly not me, are good enough to have 
solid, God-honoring desires in our inner man. If you and I have it, it's because of the grace of God. And if you're loving God and serving Him, not because of pressures of other people, but because you want to, because something inside pushes, well then I dare say you've been born of the Spirit of God. And this might and this power brings a Christ-like character. We were talking in that panel discussion about how do you know the difference between something that's just flesh and charisma and something that is truly Holy Spirit uh, moved and worked. Well, it's going, the glory's going two different directions. When men are doing things in their own flesh, the glory is going toward men and towards men's systems and be toward the, the glitter and glamour of, of human flesh. But when the Holy Spirit is working, it's the Calvary road. It's, it's the road to humility. It's the road to surrender. It's, it's the road to knowing. You see, to me, humility is not just taking a lower position, but it's knowing that a lower position is healthy for me. It's the right position for me. And Christ's power does that. A relationship that increasingly knows God and brings effective ministry and reveals His glory. Dunamis. A supernatural life. Now, I was asked to speak something about gifts and all of, you know, there's a, there's a real absolute sense that all of Christianity is a gift. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. What really do we have that we haven't received? Any ability we have to honor the Lord Jesus and edify the body of Christ is a gift from God. And we talk about these special gifts, and I don't have a problem with that. We need gifts. And I, when we seek a brother to lead out in church life, we ought to... We ought to beg God for gifts for Him and for our teachers and our missionaries and our group leaders and whatever. And and we ought to pray for our cooks and we ought to pray for our camp director or whatever else is, is being done within the work that they would have the ability, the God-given ability. I mean, God even gave ability to men to rot to rot the... Aaron and and brass and silver and gold and make it beautiful and make it meaning, meaningful. And it's God that gives the ability to get wealth even. Although no Christian should love wealth and hoard it. But if you do have a good income, God even gives that ability. If you have the gift of giving, it's a gift of God. It's part of our riches of Christ that that. Jesus, according as His Spirit decides, bequeaths to every man and woman who's born of the Spirit of God, spiritual gift or gifts to use in edifying the kingdom of God. But I really think, you may not agree with this, but I really think the focus in our Christian life needs to be the gift giver instead of the gifts. And when we look around and we see needs in our churches that we don't know how to meet, maybe 
Maybe someone in the church is schizophrenic. Maybe, maybe they're depressed. Maybe they have a severe anger problem. Maybe a young man is struggling with lust he can't overcome, or an older man for that matter. And we, we pray about it, and we talk about it, and we can't seem to help. Well, sure, it's wonderful when God sends someone into our midst that seems just to be able to work with that person in such a way it blesses them so much. But I really think instead of getting professional about it and start analyzing who has this special ability, who has that, we just seek God's face for the need to be met as a brotherhood. And sometimes God might even use somebody we didn't think was capable. But lift that humble person out and use them to meet the need. As I said, we're his body. We're the, if you want to use this term, the extended incarnation. Jesus lives in us. Of course he's going to gift his body. Don't you gift yours? We take care of our body. We give Jesus his rightful place. He'll take care of his body. You think that Jesus Christ is going to be head of a brotherhood and shortchange his body? And we're going to scratch our head and say, we don't know what to do about this. Well, if you're talking about your own abilities, thank God. You know, we, we started a work in middle of Hagerstown about a year ago. And the, the first people that came, which is not unusual, by the way, in new works, was ladies. I don't know why ladies are more sensitive to the Spirit of God than men, but that's uh, just the way it tends to be. And oftentimes in church planning work, ladies will show up first, but not always. I've known of some cases where men were first, and that's a great blessing. But anyway, in Hagerstown, uh, first three people that came were ladies. All three had been involved in multiple marriages. All three were either schizophrenic or bipolar. I think all three had been suicidal. And that were the first three we got to our Bible studies. And I told our brethren, no, we don't know what to do with them. And that's a good thing. But if we don't think we have an answer for them in Jesus Christ, we better shut the doors and go home. It doesn't hurt us to know that we can't, but we need to know that He can. And when we, and when we know we can't and He can, the answer is not to go get some Protestant book or some, worse yet, psychology book from some PhD and try to figure out what to do with these people. And just step out on faith. You know, there was this fellow who lost his rightful thinking in in Guatemala when I was working there. And, and we got called to go work with him. And as we were praying for him, uh, three of us brethren, he started to foam at the mouth. And so we discerned that he had a demonic problem. And, and we prayed for him. And, and God set him free in one instant. I mean, we prayed longer than that, but when God set him free, it was just, it was a classical case. I thank God that one of my first cases was so classical because it was just, at one moment he was out of his mind, the next moment he was setting up a chair looking at us surprised. He knew who we were and he wondered why we were there. He was just totally in his right mind. And uh, so as time went along, I encountered more and more of these kind of cases. 
And you know, Peter walking on water? Now listen, folks. Don't you ever make fun of Peter. He's the only disciple that ever walked on water. And you know how he learned to walk on water? He tried. He stepped out on faith. And I'll, I'll take crying out to Jesus to save me if I can get back in the boat walking on water. I, at least sometimes I will. I, sometimes I chicken out too. Uh, just ask God. Ask God and go for it. I mean, the church, we have no, no other resource but this. Turn to God. We had a marriage problem a couple years ago in our home church. I don't know if you all realize it, but marriage problems have the capability of ripping the church apart. You get half the people convinced that one side's right and another half convinced that the other side's right, and boy, you've got a mess. And uh, we knew that we knew that it was serious business not only for the couple but for the whole congregation. And so we decided to de- declare for the congregation a month of prayer and fasting. And I wish I could tell you that the couple repented. They did not. But what I can tell you is the integrity and unity of the church was preserved. We didn't know how we was going to do that. But we prayed and fasted about it. We don't do that enough. We need to do it more. Well, going back to that demon thing, you know, one day, one day I... I had met up with this man a number of times that he wasn't right in the mind either and, and he was like a vegetable practically and useless as a husband and and so we got this man and a couple of us got together with him and we started to pray over him and we started to command demons etc 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 and to make a long story short we discovered that during the years of the insurgency in Guatemala uh, men had grabbed this fellow and beat him so hard over the head that the blood ran out his ears. He wasn't demon-possessed. He was mentally damaged. So, you know, you might mess up sometimes. I did. Trying to cast demon out of someone who had brain damage. But I'll tell you something. Jesus can heal brain damage, too. They might not choose to. But don't matter what the problem is, you can take it to God. And you might get it wrong sometimes, but if you persist in humility, you'll find out what the problem is. That's where it starts. Secondly, I think grace-empowered brotherhood needs anticipation. We need, as we get together, to believe that if we seek God, He will meet with us. He is going to speak to our hearts. He is going to give gifts to the brothers and the sisters. He will fight our battles for us. He will meet our need. And I don't know if you have a mission statement. I've been thinking about this. Someone challenged me about this recently, and I don't think our home congregation has one. But I've been thinking, you know, it's good for a church to have a brotherhood to have a mission statement. Uh, and it probably needs to be updated rather often. But we ought to be thinking about where God would have us go in his work and what what our goals ought to be. And, and that vision and that direction ought to be 
worked out as we seek God together so we know where God's going with us. At least, you know, which way He's pulling our heart. And for many of us, that may well be uh, to seek for revivals right straight off. But begin the groundwork. Uh, one of the things that blesses me about Penile, this Penile, is the prayer. And I'm in full harmony. I do not pray enough. That's one thing God's dealing with me in my life currently, has been over the last year. I know a little bit what prayer can do, and that's just further shame on me. But God has blessed so many of my prayers in spite of so little investment. But I appreciate the prayer that's being done here. Brethren, I want to, I want to encourage you tonight. You can't just pray with people who love to pray and who come to Penile. You need to go back to your home congregations and get under your local brotherhood and start praying. And you need to involve them to whatever degree it's possible and work for a praying atmosphere in the whole church. I heard Brother Dale say some years ago, and unfortunately he's right, unfortunately in this case, because he said that in a lot of our congregations in any given service there's not more than five minutes of prayer that much. And it's true. I don't want you to take a stopwatch and check, but it's true. And I'm wondering why we don't know what each brother and sister does in their closet, but I'm wondering what happens there. And we expect that the truth without power is going to do the job. Listen, folks, Jesus Christ did not live the truth without power. He lived the truth in power. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. And it was not automatic. It's true he was born of the Holy Spirit, but I believe he, he sought for a blessing at his baptism and got it. And I believe he maintained that baptism by daily praying. And praying enough that every day he went forth knowing what God wanted and with the power to do it. If we want grace-empowered brotherhood, we're going to have to foster a spirit of prayer for people privately and collectively. Pray more in our services, have special prayer meetings, have them early in the morning, have them late at night. I remember years ago in Guatemala, we were concerned about how many of our ministerial families had wayward children. I too know something of the burden of that. And uh, we decided we would get together and pray. We were having meetings similar to these. They were Bible school meetings. Uh, but most of our church leadership was at these, from different churches were together at these. And so we... Uh, we decided that after the evening service, we were going to get together for a special time of prayer. And so there was about 20 of us got together, maybe started about 9, 30, 10 o'clock after the night service was over, and we started to pray. And for the first half hour or so, while the prayer was good, and I'm sure God was hearing, it was very normal prayer, but I don't think I'll ever forget as we continue to pray how there came a moment when God began to break in upon that prayer group and fathers began to weep for their children. God can do that. And there's a power in 20 that's not present for one. 
I'm not knocking private prayer. That's needed too. And we need to get through to God in a personal way. But when a brotherhood begins to humble themselves together and begins to humble themselves before each other. And I'll tell you something. When you go into poor countries, us rich Americans, there's an automatic cultural battle and barrier. I mean, even if you don't have money, they think you do. And and how to how to bridge that. And of course, I think we do have our national pride we're dealing with. Probably rubbed off on us more than we thought so. But I don't know of any greater way of breaking down the barrier between have and have nots and between exalted cultures and lower cultures or whatever you want to call it. And I don't, that's not really true anyway because in many things they're smarter than us, but we might have that perception. Uh, nothing will break it down like spirit unctionized prayer together. You get together four brethren. I remember one time I was in a prayer group and uh, present in that group were two national Guatemalan young men, both considerably younger than I, but old enough that they uh, were growing in their Christian lives. And a young missionary, a young man, and myself, I was not quite middle-aged probably. And we were in this prayer group together. And as we began to pray, the Spirit of God came on us and broke our hearts, and we began to weep for each other. And, I mean, a lot of you have experienced this, I'm sure. But there was a closeness, there was a oneness. It wasn't this young... Guatemala boy who has next to nothing. It wasn't me, the mission director. It wasn't this other gringo over here that comes, I don't know, maybe it was from Pennsylvania for all I know. Uh, we were seeking God together, and there was unity of the Spirit. If we want to see gifts in the church, if we want to see the needs of the church met, we're going to need to learn to pray together. And pray together until God gives us a spirit of prayer. And the spirit of intercession that lays hold in the promises of God. Because see, it's the ministry of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus is the only work He will empower. He will not empower status quo. He will not empower separatist movements. You know, Jesus is building His church and it's an offensive issue. I thought about this these days. It's easier to go to Guatemala and see the power of God. I mean, there's something about new, fresh work that God just pours out miracles and manifestations. Now, maybe people are seeking Him for it too. And I don't believe we should be sign seekers. It's not that. But we should ask God to bless His work when we go carrying the gospel. And we should ask God to confirm His gospel. And He does it. And I mean, sometimes He does it in pretty unorthodox ways. And I don't encourage unorthodoxy. I have to kind of be drug into it. I think there's a lot of solid Christian practices that we should never throw away. I mean, the Holy Spirit will have to teach us if there's changes to be made as as He leads us on. But uh, we have a lot in our heritage that is so precious. You go to people who are totally unchurched in their background. Nobody's been born again in their family for generations. I mean, you're really starting from the ground up. All the, all the moral entanglements, all the 
lack of, I mean, even when they're born again, there's still tendencies of lack of a disciplined lifestyle that are there and all the pressure of relatives and everything that comes in. And thank God that people can be totally delivered from that. I say amen. All of us, all of our ancestors at one time, that's how it got started. And the only reason we're in it ourselves is if we were born again. I agree with that. But Jesus is building his church, you see, and and we go to those places, and because there's a hunger for the gospel, and because people are poor and desperate, and because maybe people go that have a higher level than normal of interest in soul saving, I don't know. But I know that God pours out his spirit, most anywhere you go. I, I remember the first time we we was getting ready uh, to do work in Honduras, it wasn't the first visit we made over there. We were starting to get serious about planning a church in Honduras. And uh, we went over there. We had a Baptist brother with us. Uh, I guess he was throwing his lot in more with Mennonites at that time, but he was a Baptist uh, by and large, and, and he was a tremendous man of prayer. And and he was with us, and, and I, I was sort of maybe the leader of the group, but I think he was leading. Well, I know he was leading out in the prayer and we spent a lot of time praying. We went into this village, and we were uh, going from house to house. And they come out of this one house out on the dirt street and said, Come in here a minute. We went in, and this man was in there. And he was rigid, as rigid could be. And they were trying to give him apple juice to drink. And as he was trying to drink this apple juice, he would cough, and the juice would shoot halfway across the room, probably 10, 12 feet. And it looked like he was going to die. They said, we want you to pray for this man. Well, I almost knew instantaneously this man was under demonic influence. And I I was afraid. Uh, well, one other brother with me, and I, and I punted, if you know what I mean. I told him, well, just we have some other brothers here, the prayer war, you know. And, and another one, uh, I said, if you wait till we're all together, we'll pray. And, and we did. And this prayer war, you know what he said to me? Now, this man was unsaved, ungodly, partially out of his mind. And I'm not telling you should do this, but I, we felt good about it at the moment, what God laid on our heart. We prayed for that man, and, the, and people wept for this man. And this brother told me, he said, I think we ought to anoint this man. And we did. Now, he wasn't a Christian, but we anointed him. And uh, we had a service next door that night. And he walked to that service. And for quite a while after that, when we would walk up and down the streets of that town, people would come out and say, come in here, our child's sick. I want you to pray for them. And people attended the service inside of the man who took care of the Catholic services in that town. That's where we held the services. And God will confirm this work. But I want to tell you tonight, God wants to do that in America. God wants to show forth his glory in Anabaptist churches in America. I don't believe God wants stagnant churches in America. I don't believe he wants churches that don't know how to get their problem solved and have to go to some other fountain or some other pool to dry, draw out some sort of Kool-Aid to try to take care of the problem. I don't believe that. It's going to cost us more here. I really believe that. There, there's such entrenched wickedness, United States of America, such pride, such spiritual wickedness. We, we as churches have sinned against God so long 
It's going to take serious effort. But you know what's going to happen if we don't do it? Many of us are going to be lost. And the next generation might be totally lost. And there's two ways of losing the next generation. They either become so ungodly and so progressive that their faith means nothing, or they can be so sterile and status quo that their faith still means nothing. And either way, we've lost it. The ministry of Jesus, I will build my church. It's an offensive work. It's a conquering work. It's a healing work. It's the building of the kingdom. You know who's supposed to be on the defensive? The devil. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Did you ever see anybody wielding gates like you wield a sword? Bro was talking about the sword of the spirit. Now that's an offensive weapon. Gates are not offensive weapons. They're defenses. Jesus was saying, I'm going to build my church and the devil's not going to stop me. I'm going to go into his territory and we're going to lead the captives out the door. And set them free. And the church can do that in a way that no one else can. But I'm going to tell you, it's long grinding work. And I know that sometimes God can give in His sovereign will, God can give instantaneous victories. I've seen it happen. I remember one night, this, this young lady that was rebelling against leadership and rebelling against good counsel, she was secretly seeing a young man she shouldn't have been seeing and and she was struggling with that. She wanted the young man. She knew it wasn't right. We were at a staff meeting one night, and we had had a Bible study, and then we were praying around the circle. And I'll never forget this, I don't think. I, she was praying. She started to pray when it was her turn. It was a normal prayer. She was praying through this prayer. And right in the middle of it, she just broke down. And she started to weep, and she started to say, Oh, God, I don't know how these people can stand me. I've been so rebellious and so sinful. And I mean, it was just in one instant. It was done. No more rebellion. She's happily married now, I believe, to a man that God gave her. And this is years later, of course. Yes, God gives instantaneous, but generally for the entire church, it's going to be a long, hard slog. We have to be, we have to be followers of Jesus over the long haul. We have to be long-term investors. And be willing to stick it out through the thick and the thin. I personally do not think that the answer to our church's needs is for a couple of us who are sort of radicals to run off and, and make a fresh new little start for ourselves. You know what's going to happen if we do the work of Christ at all? We'll soon have the new and the needy and whoever else in amongst us anyhow. So we're going to be right back needing to find God for answers again. And you look at it, you look at any new movement after they've been going 25, 30 years and see if they don't have the same issues to pray through that all the other churches do. But we do need men and women who would be serious about seeking God for the spiritual gifts, for the outpouring of His Spirit, for the building of the church and the revival of the church. I, I went to... A, I went to a church to have revival meetings years ago in, in one of the churches in Guatemala. And, and I, I got there too much in a hurry and, and not prepared enough. I, I just felt kind of frustrated. I had a lot of, you know, you know how you make all the excuses. Well, I made them too. A lot of administrative this and that. And I just wasn't as prepared as I should be. And I got to this 
this place, and it was, I think, Monday night, and we were start these week of evangelistic services. And it said, we're going to have prayer before the meeting. Well, that was great, so we went to prayer. And I got in a prayer group of brothers. And, you know, the chills started to run up and down my spine. This church was prepared. I mean, they had a burden. They were pouring out their spirits to God for the lost in that community. And I saw the closest thing to general revival that week that I've ever saw in my life. The first night, one of the drunkards of the town stood up and asked for salvation. We hadn't even given an invitation yet. And uh, people started to come that no one expected to see. And and so many drunks responded that week that the uh, opposition forces, other religions and so forth, were calling us the Church of the Drunks. And uh, so we... We were uh, praying about this, and we said, we're going to ask the Lord for 30 souls. Now, 30 is not many. It ought to be 300 and then 3,000. I don't know, but we asked the Lord for 30. And and one young brother said, well, there's four men in this community. I want to see respond. So, okay, well, it's four and 30. Four are part of the 30. We want these four. And so that's the way we began to pray. And every night, people were responding. I'm not talking about somebody wanting to get closer to God. This was like either new birth responses or fallen totally away from God and wanted to repent and uh, we got to a Sunday afternoon and we had 29 and 3 uh, if you're like me 29 and 3 don't cut it I felt like someone was twisting my heart because we'd asked for 30 and 4 and we had these people together and we were counseling them and here come number 4 number 30 and said I want to I want to repent too it was such a glorious experience. Never been in anything like it. There were people who responded that week that I don't think anybody expected to even see inside the church. But I want to tell you something else. In the following years after that, the devil tore that church to pieces. The ministry began to fight each other. A false cult in the area began to have influence upon the church. And within a couple of years, it was in worse shape than before we had that revival. And I want to tell you tonight that the real work of church building, the real work of gifts, is to build the fiber of the life of Jesus in the character of the people. It's it's not just the special times when we get emotional about it. It's daily. It's what happens to you when you're driving nails or milking cows. It's what happens to you in the way you work with your wife and children when you have trouble. It's it's what happens to you when you're handling your checkbook and making decisions. And this character thing, this life of Jesus has to be built into the very fiber of the congregation. And there's a tremendous amount of loss because spiritual men are proud men and unbroken men. And, and brothers and sisters, regardless of what our experiences have been, if we stand for truth and stand in carnality, we're sinning. You can stand for truth and stand in the flesh. And we'll never see the glory of Jesus Christ in the church as long as there's flesh there. His glory He'll not give to another. You and I need to be holy. We need to lay aside the sins that does so easily beset us. We need to lay aside the weights. 
We also need to lay aside any superior feelings and and any demand that, I mean, be careful of this vision thing. I, I believe that God gives visions, and I believe that God speaks to our hearts, but I firmly believe that I need to submit to my brother. Sure, never against the direct word of God. Never. I mean, that was inspired by the Holy Ghost of God. I'll never agree with any brother by God's grace if he claims that we can remarry this divorced couple. I don't believe it. I'm talking about going out with somebody else that isn't their husband and wife. I'll never agree with that because the Bible doesn't. But folks, there are so many times when we feel like God is showing me this is what God is telling me. It must be this way. I mean, I feel a burden from God. It has to be this way. And we stand up against our brothers in carnality. Listen, I'm not an old man yet, but I've been around long enough to see that if we just back up, back off and trust God, once we have taken our stand and people know where we stand, God is able to turn that thing. And people that withstood you to your face will someday come around and say, you know, I'm sorry. I was carnal when I did that. And you're right. We need to be broken. The Spirit of Christ is brokenness. The Spirit of Christ is submissiveness. The Spirit of Christ is getting under and supporting and warring the war. If my brother chews me out behind my back or to my face, either one, if my brother confronts me in a public meeting and embarrasses me, you know what? That brother doesn't need my anger. He needs the Spirit of God working in his heart. I need to go get on my knees and intercede for him. It may be that something in me has produced that in him, and as I pray for him, I remember one time I joined a prayer chain when I was a young man. And uh, you might not believe this, but I was radical enough to choose from, I think it was 1130 to 12. This was supposed to be a 24-hour thing. And so I'd go to bed at night, set my alarm, get up at 1130, and I, my my chore in the prayer chain was to pray that half an hour. And I thought I was pretty spiritual doing that. But, you know, I hadn't prayed many nights until God began to tell me, you know, there's this older brother of the church that you despise. You don't like him. Uh, you know, God, do you know what he acts like? Do you know he has responsibility in the church and he's not worthy of it? Look how he acts. Look the way he performs. You know what? You don't love him. You haven't forgiven him. I couldn't get anywhere with God. All these grand schemes I had, I thought I was going to pray for, I was getting nowhere until I told God, okay, God, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to forgive him. He's an old, old man today. We don't have any problem getting along together. Still don't communicate real good because there's a special reason for that, but uh, as far as love and acceptance, it's there. I won't say all we want to about gifts and the power of God, but but we need to die to ourselves. We need to die to our right to be noticed. We need to die to our right to to have preeminence. I would just like to close with this comment. Wherever you think God is leading you, 
If it takes division from people, if it takes dividing from your parents, if it takes dividing from your church, if it takes dividing from brothers and sisters that you've worked in the work of, of God with, I have one challenge to leave with you. I am not going to tell you that should never happen because I believe sometimes it should happen. But this one challenge I would like to leave with you. Are you able to weep for those people before you do it? Can you do what you're doing with a broken heart? God bless you.